Chapter Eighteen of As in a Mirror by Pansy. The Slibrivox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen, Acts Nine Eleven. John Stewart drove home from the station in what might be called a mixed frame of mind. There was undoubtedly a ludicrous side to the interview just closed. He had been thinking more or less about Corliss Elliot for several weeks partly because he seemed to him such a merry-hearted, easily-led fellow, and he knew the peculiar temptations of life in certain colleges for such as he, also because he knew by reputation certain students at this particular college, whom he fancied were friends of Corliss, and mainly, this he told himself with that stern resolve to think just the truth, because he was Hildreth Elliot's brother, and evidently peculiarly precious to her, and her interests, he never allowed himself to carry his trains of thought in this direction an inch further. But he laughed, in spite of the undertone of gloom, over the ludicrous side of the interview. He had been troubled for Corliss, and Corliss had been troubled for him. He was suspicious that Corliss had gotten into trouble that would bring sorrow to his sister, and Corliss was suspicious of him in a dozen different ways. Both of them had been guests, at least once, at a disreputable house, and each deeply regretted it for the other. After the laugh, his face gloomed. He had failed in his attempt at helpfulness, and reasonably so. He could not but admit that all he had done had been to make his own position more suspicious." that is what I am, he said irritably, simply an object of suspicion. The boy frankly tells me of it. I am a fool, and I continue to get myself more deeply involved each day. Yet what can I do? It would be the vilest ingratitude to leave them just now, in their trouble. But until I do leave them, I fear there is nothing that I can do to help them. I have put myself into a strange position, certainly." He sighed heavily, and then gave the horses an irritable flick with the tassels of his whip, as though they were to blame, and, as they quickened their steps and hurried him homeward, he continued to make himself miserable over the various efforts he could now make for the Elliot family, provided he was in their eyes what he was in reality. Seated in the train, speeding toward college and trouble, Corliss Elliot went all over his recent interview with a half-smile on his face. It was so ridiculous to think of John offering him money. But it was kind in him, and showed warm-heartedness. The fellow ought to be helped. Why was not Hildreth at work trying to do it? Then he was obliged to smile again over the folly of that thought. Poor Hildreth, who seemed to be the one who had always to shoulder the family burdens. Had he not himself just laid a heavy one upon her? Doubtless, too, she was doing what she could for John. She would not be his sister Hildreth if she were not. This thought reminded him of a little note that had been thrust into his vest pocket. Hildreth had handed it to him as she bade him good-bye. "'Read that when you are quite alone,' she had said." It was doubtless some added word of sympathy for him in his trouble, or of suggestions as to the way out. Dear Hildreth, 
she had lain awake half the night probably thinking of him while he after sitting with his father until midnight had been so thoroughly tired over the excitements of the day that he had put everything from him and gone to sleep like a veritable schoolboy he glanced about him at his fellow passengers the train was full enough nevertheless he felt quite alone not a face there that invited his attention he would read the little note and see what suggestion hildreth had to offer she was level-headed this sister of his and anything she had thought out was worthy of consideration dear corliss it began i went all over your affairs a hundred times i think last night and found no light or comfort until i suddenly remembered a direction that i had once resolved to follow casting all your care upon him for he careth for you i proved it once more taking the whole matter with its possible entanglements to jesus christ when i arose from my knees of course not a circumstance was in any way changed yet my weight of anxiety was gone i felt sure that you would be brought safely through and that the experience would work for your good do you know what i thought next oh if corliss only prayed i said to myself it does seem strange corliss dear that you are not willing to try that simple remedy for all ills which has never been known to fail won't you let me ask you once more more earnestly if possible than i ever did before to take it all to christ now i can almost hear your old-fashioned refrain about being a goat and having therefore no right to the sheep's pasturage but of course you know that that is simply a merry way of begging a serious question suppose a sheep persisted in remaining outside with the goats though offered all the protection and privileges of the sheepfold but i do not mean to preach i only want to ask you most earnestly if in this crisis in your life you will not test jesus christ the young man slowly folded the little note and laid it away its contents had been very different from what he had imagined he could not tell why the simple words appealed to him so forcefully it was not the first nor indeed perhaps the hundredth time that hildreth had in one form or another put in an earnest plea for him to become a man of prayer he had put her petitions aside with gay courtesy always with the mental resolution to some time or other give attention to this matter and with this concession he had always been able to turn his thoughts quickly into another channel this morning he was not in vain he tried to concentrate his thought on his present perplexities to arrange an interview with president chambers to apologize for some of the rude words he had spoken on the evening before to plan ways of making plain his absence from the city on the tuesday evening in question without confessing that he had spent it at the notorious wayside house where several of the college men had already encountered disgrace above all things to try to plan some feasible theory concerning the disappearance of that fifty-dollar note he could not think consecutively about any of these matters instead his brain kept constantly repeating to him that last sentence i only want to ask you most earnestly if in this crisis in your life you will not test jesus christ that was a startling way of putting it 
almost irreverent if it had come from any other pen than hildreth's had one a right to talk about testing god straightway came to mind an old verse learned in childhood bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now herewith saith the lord what was that but a challenge to be tested it was true as hildreth had intimated that he and elfrida had actually jested together about their being goats while all the rest of the family were of the best sheep in the fold but on this particular morning it did not seem like a jest he did not want to be left out homeless he wanted to claim utmost and eternal kinship with that blessed father and mother of his then he thought of how pale his father had looked after the fever went down and how the hand he had held out to grasp his had trembled that kind hand which had never failed him in any need if god really were like a father how much he needed him now to be able to tell all his story to that blessed earthly father of his would be such a relief if one only knew how to go in that way to god certainly that was the way in which hildreth understood religion there was no sham to her not the merest shadow of a make-believe he tried to determine just what his own belief was he had been the subject at given times in his life of certain experiences that might perhaps be called sentimentalisms that is his emotional nature had been reached by some powerful appeal to it in the name of religion but he had never been deeply enough moved for action the impression which was being made this morning was different there was nothing in hildreth's note to excite him or to awaken emotion yet he felt himself arraigned as before an invisible judge to account for his position he believed in prayer of course his father's son could not have done less but just what did he believe in regard to it why this beyond question that it was possible for a human being to secure audience with one known in history as jesus christ a divine being infinite in wisdom and power and love therefore a being both able and willing to befriend him why then if he were a person of average common sense did he persist in holding himself aloof from the help that such a belief undoubtedly afforded why should not this powerful friend be his friend why should not the promise on which his parents and his sister leaned the promise of divine guidance for the asking be his also he confessed to himself that very often indeed as he had looked into his sister's pure face and earnest eyes he had been reminded of a bible verse learned in his early boyhood about certain persons who took knowledge of certain others that they had been with jesus he admitted that had he been inclined to be sceptical his sister's singularly consecrated life would have been an unanswerable argument to him but he was not sceptical nothing that he had studied in the schools seemed clearer or more certain to him than did the fundamental verities of the christian religion it had been but a few days before in a free and easy conversation with one of the students during which certain sceptical sentiments had been advanced 
that he had assured the speaker that he had three volumes of the evidences of christianity in the persons of his father and mother and sister and that any fellow who had opportunity to study them would as soon think of doubting the daily sunrise as of questioning the foundations on which such living as theirs was built he recalled the promptness with which he had made this response and he told himself that he was an inconsistent fellow unworthy of credence how was his life proving that he was any better than a boy who had no mother and a mean father and a sister without an ounce of brains he knew certain boys whose home life might be thus described if he honestly believed what when he talked with the boys he professed to why not avail himself of the offered help he certainly was in trouble he might put it aside for the time with the assurance that there was a way out yet all the while he was conscious of an undertone of grave anxiety that's an awfully selfish motive you ought to be ashamed to go to god for the first time for any such reason he did not recognize the enemy of souls as the speaker but his good sense made immediate answer what of that it would be a selfish motive that would prompt him to seek human help yet if there were an available human friend at this moment one whom he had reason to think had both ability and desire to help him it would not take him two minutes to decide to seek him at the first opportunity and lay the case before him he could conceive of a man who would be great enough to overlook past indifference upon his part and even slights and come forward to his aid there were such people undoubtedly there were such fathers didn't he know that if he were the worthless creature president chambers evidently considered him and yet had gone frankly to his father with the story of his trouble he would have been met more than halfway and helped to the extent of that father's ability why should it be an incredible thing that god who had chosen to name himself father should do as much yet let him be sincere in this matter he would not go even to his earthly father without being ready to say to him father i have done wrong i have gone contrary to what you would have advised and have brought this trouble upon myself largely by my folly i want you to understand that i don't mean to get into this sort of scrape again i mean to follow your footsteps after this as well as i can was he ready to make such a statement to a father in heaven had he counted the cost yet after all what was the cost what obligations were to be assumed in order to become a member of this family and claim the privileges of sonship it seemed wonderful to him afterwards to remember how frequently during that morning's conference with himself there appeared before him words that he had learned in childhood ready to answer his questions authoritatively one such came now what doth the lord thy god require of thee but to fear the lord thy god to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the lord thy god with all thy heart and with all thy soul tremendous obligations certainly yet really they were entirely reasonable remembering who he was and what he knew of god had he not always intended to give this subject serious attention some time 
did he not believe that it was every man's duty to use his common sense in this as in all other matters and act in accordance with his best judgment those fellows who had bad habits to give up and who did not care to make the best they could of their lives certainly had excuses for delay that he did not he believed that he had been simply a fool to put off settling such important questions as these he did not know why he had done so it seemed strange that they persisted now in being thought of it was quite vain to try to push them aside with the excuse that he had affairs requiring immediate attention they persisted in remaining uppermost in his mind as the most important of all affairs instead of going in search of president chambers as he had intended to do as soon as he reached the college grounds he went directly to his own room and closed and locked the door it might have been an hour perhaps it was longer that he sat with folded arms staring straight into nothingness thinking as he had not thought before in his life recalling it afterwards he remembered that there went from him for the time all memory even of what was awaiting him in college this one subject pressed its claims in a singularly assertive manner at the close of the hour or whatever period of time it was he arose with the air of one who had settled something crossed over to the window drew down the shade and dropped upon his knees jackson said president chambers that afternoon did elliot return by the morning train yes sir he came in at eleven o'clock do you know where he is he went directly to his room sir and i haven't seen him since i noticed particularly that he did not come out for his twelve o'clock hour jackson go to his room and say that i should like to see him immediately jackson bowed himself away and in a very brief space of time returned alone well said president chambers inquiringly did you find him yes sir he is in his room but did you give him my message no sir i didn't because he is he is very much engaged sir and i didn't think you would like to have him disturbed i didn't even knock at the door indeed what is the nature of the engagement which is so important in your eyes that you cannot deliver a message from me is it visible from the keyhole no sir i didn't see him but i heard him to tell you the truth sir he is praying a sudden softened look overspread the handsome face of the president he had not known that corliss elliot ever had engagements of that kind very well he said to the waiting jackson you did quite right watch your opportunity and send elliot to me as soon as he is disengaged End of chapter 18